0: Namur to sab, go ato arahatur, samma, sambuddhasa. Namur to sab, go ato arahatur, samma, This being the first Saturday of the month of October is an occasion for sharing a contemplation on the Dhamma teaching that's um, on our calendar page for this month which is a quote from the collected Teachings of Ajahn Chah saying we travel the path of sila samadhi panya until we find the blessings of purity, radiance, and peace, these are the fruits of the path. So the, the traveling the path of Sila Samadhi panya, or integrity, collectedness, discernment, and until we find the blessings of purity, radiance, and peace, and, and as in char, and talking from experience. Uh, Finding these fruits. The this week the the monastery blog referred to the condition of our the monastery larder at the moment being um, well stocked with with fruit. This is the uh, the season of the year where this could well happen, and autumn is with us and. Also, the time of year when Ajahn Puño uh, recites for us a little Keats poetry, ode to autumn a season of mists and mellow fruitfulness and I expect he 'll be moved to give us his recitation um, before too long. It usually happens this time of year here, of course, we 're talking about the fruits of practice. Um, Crispy, juicy, luscious apples and plums, of course, are very nice, but um, we all know the way of crispy, juicy, luscious apples, and plums they they just keep getting ripe until they turn rotten, or well that's what we call them, um, and they're certainly not attractive anymore but uh, the presumably, all of us embark upon spiritual pursuits because we, we believe there is we trust there is that which is unshakable that which doesn't deteriorate that which is truly reliable and so uh, Ajahn Chah is talking here about the fruits of spiritual practice as being purity radiance, peace and he's talking about an unshakable peace you know, talking about a reliable peace and, and certainly these uh, these are, are, are worthy um, objects of aspiration. I mean, these are the blessings of peacefulness, of purity, of radiance. They're certainly things that we would all enjoy, things we would like to have plenty of. But uh, one of the characteristics, thankfully, of Buddhist teachings is it doesn't just give us something to believe in. It doesn't just talk about things that uh, you know, a few privileged uh, spiritual uh, elite happen to have access to. Uh, It gives us something that we can do. So considering what the great teachers were pointing out, what the Buddha was pointing out, is that these blessings are available, but they're not something that just happened to fall down from heaven. Like growing plums and and apples and, and fruit, you've got to actually cultivate You've got to cultivate the soil and and it takes a lot of work and if we don't pay attention to the soil or we don't like when we we wanted those wildflowers going down by the lake you we had to look at the soil there you just you could spread a whole lot of of wildflower seeds there but actually the soil is too rich with nutriment from the fertilizer that the previous owner put on the fields and and basically those seeds will all just be wasted so you've got to uh, you go about it carefully, intelligently, uh, discern the situation and how is this going to work and what's going to work, what's not going to work. And in the Buddhist tradition where the Buddha talks about Sila Punya or the tradition talks about dana Sila Pavana, we hear these lists and we could just interpret it as tradition. We could just say, oh, well, I've heard all that before, generosity and precepts and meditation and so on. But there is an intelligence to this. Uh, and Arjun wasn't just saying this because he felt like it, he was saying it because it's true that sealous mighty panya, cultivating integrity, cultivating collectedness of, of heart and mind, uh, these are the foundations of practice. And if we really want the blessings, if we want the fruit, of practice, well, we need to cultivate the ground. And what this means, in effect, actually, is we need, we need a huge storehouse of goodness. Some of us um, get a bit carried away with our, our greedy aspirations for liberation and freedom from suffering and, and go a bit too fast. We, we, we don't um, take stock of where we're at. We don't actually register how fundamentally unhappy we are, how depleted we are, how little feeling of goodness that we have. We don't actually feel good about life. We don't feel good about ourselves. And the Buddha didn't shy away from from encouraging us to, to pay a lot of attention to cultivating goodness. He didn't just talk about emptiness. He didn't just talk about uh, transcendent understanding, but he spent a lot of time, a lot of energy, uh, put a lot of energy into helping his followers, his students, come to recognise what we can do about our predicament, to build up our storehouse of goodness. Uh, if our storehouse of goodness is not adequate, it's like, yeah, it's like you might have the the best business plan going, but if you don't have any capital, well, you're not going to get very far, and. Now, it might sound a bit too materialistic, but given the condition that most of us are living in, this is a useful way to think. You know, we want the blessings of unshakable peace that come with, with profound insight, but in what? What is the, what, what is the context? You know, what is the field? In what is insight going to take place? If our field of awareness is too contracted and too small and polluted and distorted by our compulsive preferences well, that's not a suitable environment. Just like if the, the soil is full of pesticides and insecticides and, and and not watered properly and not drained properly, well, we can't grow nice yummy apples and plums and so on. So we need, we need to prepare the ground, the ground of the heart and a lot of our practices like that. And if we don't, well, we can not only waste our energy, we can make the condition um, worse. And so the Buddha gave these teachings, and like this evening, we recited one of these discourses the Buddha's discourse on the cultivation of loving kindness, the Karanya Metta Sutta. And if you spend time, you just really feeling for what the Buddha was talking about. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness, one who knows the path of peace. If we want to know the path of peace, we not just know about it, not just read it, but if we want to know the path of peace, one who is skilled in goodness and knows the path of peace, what does that actually mean? And the kind of consciousness that he was talking about cultivating, outward and unbounded, Free from hatred and I will. What does a consciousness that is outward and unbounded feel like? And is that what we've got? Mm. Humble and not conceited. Mm. Contented and easily satisfied. Is that me? Humble and not conceited. Hmm, Not sure about that contented and easily satisfied. Does that mean? Contented and easily satisfied. Now the Buddha didn't just say these things for for no good reason. The Buddha was was talking about cultivating the ground, uh, developing the field of awareness in which insight is likely to precipitate. And so it's wise to pay heed to this. uh, And sometimes just listening to these words is what's called for you know we we can be very intent on putting ourselves into all sorts of awkward postures and concentrating on the end of our nose forcing ourselves to do this and that and hoping to have some sort of interesting experience which is better than the one we're having right now but what about just sitting there and contemplating contented and easily satisfied often we, we make contentment the goal as if, well if I do this, this and this and this then I'll become contented but well, what about how about actually being contented uh, down in Kusler House well there used to be I hope there still is a sign on the wall that says contentment is not the goal, contentment is the way of uh, being contented of uh, being contented like you know, am I contented with the food that's offered or do I want more interesting food, I or we, Want to eat for entertainment reasons? Is that, is that contented and easily satisfied? Uh, humble and not conceited. You know, when there's a, a discussion, a, a, um, a debate going on, uh, can I let the other person win, or do I have to be the winner? Yeah. Now, the reason the teachers point these things out, this is these are ways of cultivating the storehouse of goodness. If the heart is not replete with goodness, then we're not going to experience an expanded field of awareness. This expanded field of awareness is what's called for, replete with goodness, before the kind of insight that we're looking for is likely to take place. So there's an intelligence to these traditional teachings, um, cultivating generosity, we cultivate generosity, we feel good about ourselves. We live a life of integrity, we feel good about ourselves. We cultivate a collected state of heart and mind, we feel good about ourselves and we can feel good about life. And from this perspective of a storehouse of goodness, then there's a chance that we can build up the energy, allow the intensification to take place that will contribute to insight. If we go at it too soon with too much willfulness, then maybe we'll get a result that we're not looking for. So these days when I uh, when I talk about meditation, I like to, well, I'm inclined to tell people to just stop concentrating. I know from my own experience, the early years of meditation, I was given this instruction of concentrating on the breath at the end of your nose. I thought, oh, I can do that, you know. Concentrate, concentrate, concentrate. And you know, you're kind of tying yourself up to not. knot, but you have some interesting experiences. It's like learning some new party tricks. Oh, look what I can do with my mind now. But is it liberating? Does it make you more contented? Can you move through life and meet situations with an expanded awareness that's able to accommodate the feeling of utter frustration and turn <coughs> it into insight? Or do we become more limited in the situations that we can handle? Shying away from from relationships, shying away from difficulties. So my feeling is that with cultivating meditation, it's, uh, what's really needed for most people is actually more relaxation, more ease, more feeling good about ourselves. Yeah. I, uh, I've noticed it happens not really that... Talking with people, and there seems to be a, often a um, an inability for people to listen. I don't know if you found this. It's like having a conversation with people. They don't. They generally don't seem to be able to listen very well. And I've been thinking about this, and I, I'm wondering if it doesn't come from from the amount of time people spend sending their energy out through their eyes. I have a theory that that at this stage of evolution of humanity, we've moved from learning by listening, which is actually a vast field of awareness. When you're listening out there, you're picking up all sorts of things. But when you, when you learn through looking at things, through reading, through deciphering these, these funny little black squiggles on a page you know, and interpreting them and staying focused on them for hours and hours and hours sometimes or looking at monitors little square boxes that your field of awareness becomes habitually contracted it becomes habitually contracted and very very narrow and i'm wondering if this is not one of the reasons why it seems that a lot of people don't know how to listen anymore and and why also why i think personally i, th- I suspect this is one reason why people are so unhappy yeah. statistically as i've mentioned a few times recently Never before in human history have we been so safe. We've never been so safe. We've never been less likely to die at a violent death than we are now. And it's been this way for a very long time, except for those two world wars last century, those two incidents. Other than that, for the last few hundred years, it's been gradually moving in the direction of less violence, despite what the media will tell us about it. We've never had less violence. We've never had more food. We've never been more safe, we've never had more food, we've never had more clothing, we've never had more education, we've never had more information, and I would say we've never been more crazy. Uh, uh, Now, some people might disagree with that, but I think the statistics point in the direction. It's a sad truth. Uh, I was looking at a website, Uh, I think it's called befrienders.org.com, and I don't know much about the website, but it was quoting the World Health Organisation statistics which pointed out that world suicide rates have gone up by 60%. Worldwide suicide rates have gone up 60%. And if, at the moment, the sad fact is that statistically there's somebody kills himself every 45 seconds... And if this trajectory continues by the year 2020, there's going to be one every second. That's the way it's going. And I would say, personally, I would say, yeah, we're more crazy than we've ever been. So what's happening? We've got more food, more clothing, more shelter, more medicine, more information. But it seems to be the experience for most people is they've got less space to live in. And we're not talking about physical space here, we're talking about psychological space. The world that people occupy. It's like consciousness, awareness has collapsed. People's field of awareness is this small, narrow world that's me. It's, and it's contracted and it's painful. And it's not enough for life. It's not enough for life. We can't live in this small... And so there's over and over again people have this experience. I can't stand it anymore. And so what do they do? They kill their body, which is a big mistake. Because it's not the body that needs to die it's this habitual limitation that they're putting on awareness that needs they need to be free from. It's not the body they need to be free from, it's the type of consciousness that they've constructed that they need to be free from. So using meditation techniques to become even more compacted and more contracted, I, would, I feel is a big mistake and I know I made this mistake myself for many years and I've seen many other people doing it and and so the Buddha's teaching on paying attention to cultivating a vast field of awareness, you know, a storehouse replete with goodness. You know, can we do this? Do we do this? You know, can we, what, I, what I suggest and what I like doing myself is instead of using willful controlling as the primary tool of spiritual discipline to exercise trust to exercise trusting and, and so in meditation you want to do something, so okay, it's good you know, contrasting situation instead of running around like chickens with their head chopped off you know, just stop and do nothing for a while and bring attention to body awareness body awareness, upright, alert yep, right, that's what we're doing and then don't meditate just, just, just instead of doing something Simply being aware. I'm trying it. Try experimenting with becoming full of familiar with the field of awareness that we're living as. Instead of trying to become something better by willfully manipulating conditions, investigating, becoming interested in the field of awareness that we experience ourselves to be. What does it feel like? What happens to this field of awareness? What happens to this field of awareness when we just... Drop in the word trust. Trusting. It's just like dropping a pebble into a a pond. You see this ripple. What does the ripple ripple in our being feel like when you drop in the word trusting? (laughs) Maybe the belly softens a little bit, the shoulders drop a little bit, trusting. Opening. Expanding. Allowing. Receiving. And trusting in our own intuition to undo this tangle, this contracted tangle that our our hearts have become. Hmm. I feel confident that this is a, a safer and more productive use of energy than defaulting to our habitual patterns of controlling and manipulating our minds to try and become something better than what we are right now. So if we can do this, if we have a feeling for this, we've become familiar with our own habits of collapsing awareness and can perhaps release out a little bit, then maybe we're more ready for the intensification a few weeks ago I gave a talk on the place of intensity in practice and uh, absolutely it's it's one of the factors that's needed Um, energy intensity yes we can be very interested in Dhamma enthusiastically interested in Dhamma and truth and reality and and cultivating a heart of loving kindness and, and patience and friendliness these spiritual qualities but before the rigid habits of self-holding can be released, there does need to be intensity. Intensity is an important factor. But if we, as we tend to do, some of us tend to do, is throw ourselves into this too soon, with too much willfulness, before we're familiar with what it means to have a, an expanded field of awareness, and before we know what it means to have a, a, a storehouse of goodness, then that intensity can't function as it potentially would. But if we've prepared ourselves properly and if we have some familiarity with letting go of this contracted state of selfhood, then intensity doesn't have to be something that we necessarily set up. It's something that we can also find in everyday life. And it is important that we develop the view, that we correct the view, that when we're feeling frustrated that there's something going wrong. It, isn't it the case that when we feel frustrated that we're failing? That's what we feel like, isn't it? We feel like we're failing if we feel frustrated. But how about if instead of assuming that when I feel frustrated that it's somehow an indictment against me, that this very feeling of limited being, this very feeling of, I can't stand this anymore, how about considering that this is the very place where we meet ourselves at the point where we are imposing limitations on awareness? Because that's what we're doing. That's that's what the experience is. Where I feel like I can't handle it anymore. When awareness is collapsed and contracted and and we feel like we can't handle it anymore and we don't know how to ease out of that, we don't have a storehouse of goodness, we don't basically trust ourselves, we don't basically trust in life, then maybe we miss the opportunity. But if we've prepared ourselves properly, then when we feel this experience, we encounter this experience of, I can't stand this anymore. What is that assumption? What is that? What is that that we're imposing on ourselves in that moment, in that way, in our bodies, in our hearts, in our minds, that then we tend to then judge the external circumstances about? Uh, We judge the external circumstances because we haven't properly prepared ourselves to turn the light of awareness inwards and feel the reality of what we're doing. The reality of what we're doing in that moment is this habitual imposing a feeling of limitation this is me, this is all I can handle well if we are willing and able to question that then maybe what we'll find maybe what we'll find is that the energy that's needed to free us from this experience of being limited is within that frustration itself so experiences like no. should I become a nun or monk or should I go out and save the world? Yeah. Sometimes people have these things. Should I join the Sangha or should I go and save the world and join a NGO somewhere and save the planet? Yeah. Now, that can be a passionate dilemma for people. Or, yeah. or should I meditate or should I get married? Yeah. Yeah. That's... Yeah. Often what happens you know, people, uh, it's not just a small thing, it can be a big deal. Or a moving house. Shall I stay in this big, cold house that I've lived in for the last 30 or 40 years and I'm desperately attached to but it's using up all my money to pay for it? Or should I move into a small apartment? Dilemma. How do we meet it? How do we meet the dilemmas of our life? Well, if we have become familiar with the possibility of expanding awareness, not just habitually turning to our contracted state of, I've got to sort this out, but take a deep breath. Physically create the physical space. Go against that habit to contract, to push the breath out and to close down and to try and manipulate. What, What does it feel like? It feels responsible, doesn't it? You know, I'm going to sort this problem out. I'm going to sort this thing out. You know, what is that habit? You know, it's antithetical to 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 not follow that. You know, it feels irresponsible to not follow that. You know, but that's in reality. If we stop and investigate, if we stop and look at it. If we dare to make the effort to go against it, to train ourselves to go against the conditioning, to control, to do, to manipulate, if we dare to go against ego's habitual tendencies, maybe we find there's another possibility, that actually trusting trusting is much more spacious. If we've prepared ourselves, established ourselves with the, with the, the good feeling that comes from living a life of integrity that's the precepts the basic precepts means we're safe we feel safe we can let the intensity build up let the dilemma build up I want to do this and I don't want to do this at the same time it's like a dynamo it's like a dynamo it's like you know, like if you've got a wound and it's, and it's, and it's healing and it's, and it's itching like nobody's business and you really want to scratch it yeah I really want to scratch it I really want to scratch it but you know if you scratch it, it's going to get more infected. So you really don't want to scratch it. You want to scratch it and you don't want to scratch it. Which one do you take sides with? Do we have to take sides? We don't have to take sides. When we come across a dilemma, the, the, the barometer for practice is how long does it take us before we put our hands together and, and say, welcome, this is just what I need. I absolutely can't handle this situation. I absolutely can't handle this. I don't know what to do. Absolutely wonderful, perfect. It's a gift if we prepared ourselves properly. If we know what it means to be able to live as an expanded state of awareness, sort of a storehouse of goodness, if we have some familiarity with that, well then when life's dilemmas are offered to us, it is, it's an offering. It still stinks, there's no doubt about It absolutely stinks. It's absolutely not what I want. It absolutely feels like a disaster on one level. It absolutely feels like a failure on one level. But maybe there's another level in which we realise, oh, yeah, actually we can trust in this. This is energy. This is the very place where we can find the energy that's going to break us out of this feeling of limited existence that I experience myself to be. I keep coming up against this wall over and over again. I can't handle it. I can't handle it. How do we break out of that? not by reading books, but by cultivating the conditions that mean that at that moment where there's the inclination to contract, we expand. There's the inclination to grasp, we let go. There's the inclination to reject, we greet the intensity. And if there is this kind of preparation, if there is this kind of training, then that which previously might have appeared utterly impossible becomes possible. I think it was, was, it, was it Einstein, I think, who said that you can never resolve a problem on the level on which the problem manifests. I think it was Einstein. Mm-hmm. In other words, we need to go to another level. We need to go to another, an expanded state of awareness... Yeah. or another level of energy. We need to go deeper. Yeah. Yeah. Therefore, all we do is we think about it. Say, How am I going to solve my dilemma? That's the one who created the dilemma. That's the one who created the problem. So we need to find an alternative approach. So thank you very much this evening for your attention. <laughs> Hallelujah.